church family and thank you for joining us here at New Morning Light Baptist Church again for another Sunday's worship. Remember the joy we have, the world didn't give it to us and the world can't take it away. We must always be thankful for what God has done, what God is doing and what God will do and I am so thankful for what God is doing in your lives. I'm so thankful for what God is doing in the life of the church and I'm so thankful to just be before you and read and proclaim this word of the Lord this Sunday morning. Remember, we've gone through a lot the past couple of Sundays. We've talked about spiritual warfare. We've talked about putting on the full arm of the Lord. We've talked about the fruits of the Spirit and the works of this flesh. We've even talked about last Sunday how the Holy Spirit works and how last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. So this Sunday we're talking about one of the works of the Holy Spirit. I'm coming from the same chapter from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, but I'll be reading verse 13 this time. This is still the same story and same scenario. However, I wanted to highlight verse 13 because I think there is something that we can glean from this text. Amen? Brothers and sisters, I just want to feel that you're with me. So type in at the bottom. I'm here with you, Pastor. Type in amen or just raise your hand or send an emoji up. I got to know that you're with me even though I'm here in this empty church. I need to feel you through the virtual screen. Amen. Nonetheless, there's a word from the Lord this Sunday morning. And it's coming from Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and realized they were uneducated 
and ordinary men. They were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of this word. I entitled this one, Comfort in Discomfort. Comfort in Discomfort. Peter and John were underestimated because of their appearance and their education. Remember, the text says that they were astonished at the courage of Peter and John because they were unschooled. They were unlearned. They were uneducated. They were ordinary men. So they marginalized Peter and John. They thought that they weren't fit to be in the presence of such auspicious or dignified people in this courtroom making these bold claims about Jesus. But brothers and sisters, this reminds me of a story of comfort in the midst of discomfort. This reminds me of a young girl that was valedictorian when she graduated from Avondale High School. And during the time she graduated as valedictorian from Avondale, uh, all valedictorians had the opportunity to go to the governor's mansion to meet the governor. So when she graduated and she received the award or received the accolade of becoming the valedictorian, she also received this opportunity of going to the governor's mansion. This young graduate from Avondale High School was so excited, just like many other valedictorians, and she went back to tell her parents. And her parents were naturally excited. Her parents didn't have a lot of money. However, what they did was took what money they did have, and they got some nice clothes. They got some things to make sure that they looked presentable, and they rode public transportation all the way to the governor's mansion from Avondale. And anybody that rides the train knows that the bus stop stops right in front of the governor's mansion. So they get off this tr uh, public transportation and they make their way up the sidewalk and as they're making their way up to the gate, they see so many people coming, other valedictorians getting out of their fine, fancy cars with beautiful outfits and clothing on, but they're not discouraged about that. They're not thinking about that. They're not comparing themselves to that because they're just happy that they have the opportunity to meet the governor at the governor's mansion. The parents of the valedictorian are proud of their daughter. The valedictorian is just happy for the opportunity, so they make their way up the sidewalk to the gate. And when they get to the gate, they encounter the security guard, and the security guard notices the bus they've just gotten off of, and uh, looks at the clothing that they have on and asks them, where are they going? And they reply to him that they're going to meet the governor in the governor's mansion. And they're excited. Their faces are beaming. But the security guard tells them that this is a private event. This is a private event for the valedictorians in the state of Georgia that have just graduated. This isn't open to the public. The father of the valedictorian tells the security guard that if he would just look at the guest list, he would see their name on the guest list because their daughter is also one of the valedictorians that is being honored tonight at the governor's mansion. That should have the opportunity to meet the governor in his mansion. However, the security guard has already come to a conclusion about who they are, where they come from, and whether or not they deserve to see the governor. The father of the young girl goes back and forth with the security guard until finally the security guard looks at his list and sees her name. He apologizes and he lets them in. However, the damage is already done. The young girl says that she 
doesn't remember the other valedictorians she met in the governor's mansion. She doesn't remember the food she ate in the governor's mansion. She doesn't even remember meeting the governor in the governor's mansion. All she remembers is standing outside on that sidewalk, feeling the feeling of discomfort as she confronts somebody that is comfortable in labeling her, comfortable in marginalizing her, comfortable in having her set in a place in which she could not receive what was already meant for her to receive. Brothers and sisters, she felt the discomfort of confronting somebody's comfort of keeping her in her place. Although she was let in the governor's mansion on the inside, her mind was still on the outside. And brothers and sisters, whether it's at the governor's mansion or in front of religious leaders in the Roman Empire, God uses uncomfortable situations to challenge the mentality of comfortable people. I'm going to say that one more time. I'm going to say that again. I said God uses uncomfortable situations to challenge the mentality of comfortable people. God challenges the comfort of the majority with the discomfort of elevating the minority to sit at the table they would normally be excluded from. Brothers and sisters, this reminds me of the 23rd Psalm when the 23rd Psalm says that thou preparest a table before me in the presence of thine enemies. And brothers and sisters, God doesn't prepare a table before our enemies just so we can gloat or just so we can look good. But he does it for a specific purpose because God is forcing the comfortable to feel the discomfort of facing the people they feel aren't qualified to be at the table. Facing the people they feel aren't wealthy enough to be at the table. Facing the people they feel aren't educated enough to be at the table. Facing the people they feel aren't pretty or aren't handsome enough to be at the table. God needs you to find comfort in the midst of discomfort because God is trying to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You see, God specifically uses common people to do uncommon things, to disrupt people doing what they've always done and thinking what they've always thought. You see, God specifically uses common people to do uncommon things so all of God's children can have a seat at the table. You see, brothers and sisters, imagine, if you will, if God only blessed or only transformed or only offered salvation to the wealthy or only offered it to people that were educated or doctors and lawyers or only offered it to people that were affluent people. The people that were on the margins of society, the people that were from the streets, the people that, that, that didn't seem or feel as though they identified with that would just write God off. Brothers and sisters, you know how transformative it is, how much of a testimony it is when you hear about somebody that's been in a low place and God elevates them to a high place. You, you know how rewarding it feels when you watch one of your own family members that might have been strung out on drugs, that might have been a victim of sexual assault and they don't know how to get past it or might have been somebody that was in and out of jail going through all types of things and they've fallen victim to the streets but they get in church and they turn their life around and you can see somebody that used to be it seemed committed to the darkness of the world, but now has come into the light and they've turned their life around. They turned their mentality around and now God is using them to bring other people into the light. You know that's a testimony in itself. 
That's a testimony when you see people that have traditionally been cast out but now are being brought in. And not only are they being brought in, but while they're in the midst of the church, their mindset is being transformed. Their heart is being transformed. And the way they walk, the way they talk is different because they've had an encounter with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it's nothing like an old saint that can give you the testimony of her past and let you know, although you see me now in the present, although I'm looking good now in the present, although I look blessed now, I still have a testimony. I still have trials and tribulations I've been through. I still have something God has saved me from. Brothers and sisters, Dr. Kenneth Samuels of Victory Baptist Church in Stone Mountain, Georgia, said God will use a nobody. To tell everybody that he is somebody. I'll say that one more time. I said, he said, God will use a nobody to tell everybody that he's somebody. You see, Peter and John in our text today are at the front gate or at or confronting, I should say, the high priest and government officials. The high priest and government officials have labeled them a nobody. They, they consider them people that are uneducated, as the text says. They consider them just everyday ordinary people, and they're wondering what gives them the unmitigated gall. What gives them the ability to think that they could stand in the presence of this vast body of educated religious and, and, and officials of the empire? What, what gives them the ability to think that they can do that? And what Peter and James, I mean, do is stand boldly on the fact that they believe in God. They stand boldly on the fact that they've seen the miracles. They've seen the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. They watched and learned about what God can do. And they said nothing can stop us from speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. Do you remember last Sunday's sermon that said, I can't stop, won't stop. And they have this, I can't stop, won't stop mentality. They're bold and they have been ignited with a flame that causes them to stand firmly in the midst of opposition. And brothers and sisters, these two brothers, these two men are in a situation of discomfort, but they're able to find comfort in the truths and promises of our Savior Jesus Christ. They are able to find comfort in the ability that the Holy Spirit has come into them and given them the words to say, given them the stamina to stand strong in the midst of facing opposition, in the midst of facing jail, in the midst of facing possible death. They're able to stand strong in what they believe in. You see, the ironic thing about this text is that Ananias, the high priest, and everybody else in the text in this courtroom that Peter and James are standing in, they're not concerned about the man they've just healed. Remember I told you in Acts chapter 3, Peter and James have just healed a man at the gate called Beautiful, and the man comes up to them and, and asks them for money, and they say, silver and gold have I none, but I can command you to walk in the name of Jesus. And the man gets up and walks. They, they, they're not concerned about that. They didn't even ask about that. They can see the man standing next to them. They're not even concerned about the fact that these two men have summoned a crowd of over 5,000 to listen to the fact that they're telling them that the man that they crucified, this black man that they put on the cross and killed is now the savior of the world and their sins will be atoned for and they'll have salvation after their death. They're not concerned about that. What they're concerned about and what they're amazed by 
is the fact that these two men are bold enough to challenge them in the courts, and they're uneducated and they're ordinary. Brothers and sisters, this speaks volumes. This speaks volumes to how some things that we think will impress people won't impress people, but what impresses people the most is the fact that you just show up and stand firm on the word of God. You show up and stand firm in the fact that God is using you. You show up and stand firm in believing that the Holy Spirit can transform you and use you in whatever way the Holy Spirit needs to use you. Brothers and sisters, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll have a boldness to go where people said you couldn't go, to be what people said you couldn't be, and to do what people said you couldn't do. This makes me think of Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou had a hard life. Maya Angelou, when she was a child, was molested, and when she was molested as a child, she went through the trauma of not speaking because after she was molested, she went and told her family members and her uncles and family members went back and killed the man that molested her. And she went without speaking for several years and people in her family wrote her off as deaf, dumb, and mute because of all that she had experienced and because she made the decision not to talk. But Maya Angelou's grandmother, it's something about those grandmothers. Maya Angelou's grandmother came to her and said to her, baby, when you finally do speak, you're going to have something to say. And brothers and sisters, when Maya Angelou finally began to start talking, we can remember the fact that Maya Angelou wrote poems such as Still I Rise. And if you know that poem, it says, Still I rise in spite of my fears inside. We know Maya Angelou wrote poems such as Phenomenal Woman and being a phenomenal woman phenomenally. We know Maya Angelou wrote poems such as I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. And brothers and sisters, somebody that people would have traditionally written off Somebody that people would have traditionally said would never be anything, never amount to anything, shouldn't necessarily have the, the, the boldness to stand in front of people and speak. Maya Angelou, coming from her background and experiencing all she experienced, was able to stand at the presidential inauguration of Barack Obama and give a poem. She was able to stand up in front of classes of people as she became a professor and hadn't even gone to college, hadn't even gone to school herself. Maya Angelou defied the odds and she took what would have normally just been an uncomfortable situation that could have changed her whole life and stopped her from being all that God called her to be and she found comfort in her pain and used her pain to move and get to the next levels of life that she needed to get to Brothers and sisters, we have to use and muster that power of the Holy Spirit to move past discomfort and find comfort in discomfort. I know it's not easy. I know it doesn't feel good. I know it's not something common, but we have to be able to find comfort in discomfort. You want to know the main thing that stops us? There's a lot of times we have that small voice in our heads that tell us we're not good enough. A lot of times we have that small feeling inside of us that'll break ourselves down opposed to what other people say. Sometimes we can have people that believe in us, but because we have our own insecurities, we have low self-esteem, sometimes we can find ourselves breaking ourselves down mentally. But nonetheless, in spite of that, we have to know that we have an identity in Christ, that it's not our Savior, it's not God, uh, it's not 
us that, 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 that is, falls victim to the fact of what brings us down. Brothers and sisters, it is actually God that pulls us out of that place of darkness. It's God that gives us our confidence. It's God that gives us our identity. Remember the word says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if you just stand firm on that, if you stay true to that, it will get you through no matter what you go through. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter if you're light-skinned or dark-skinned, if you're big or skinny, if you're short or tall, if you have curly hair, nappy hair, if you have long hair or short hair, if you're rich or poor, if you drive a Benz or you ride a bus, if you went to college or decided to just go to work, God will use anybody to tell everybody he's somebody. Let me say that again. I said God will use anybody to tell everybody he's somebody. God will use the discomfort of our insecurities. God will use the challenge of us not feeling like we're good enough to confront someone else's security of where we should go, what we shouldn't do. God will use all those things we think are weaknesses or somebody else has labeled as a weakness to use it as our strength to pull us through. Brothers and sisters, we just have to show up and we just have to let God use us in spite of us. We have to show up and say, God, I'm ready, willing and able. We just have to show up and show God that we're committed. I want you to remember this. God can use you. You just have to let him use you. Somebody type amen on the chat for that. God can use you. You just have to let him use you. When I think about finding comfort and discomfort, I think about my own story. I think about my own testimony. I think about my own journey here to New Morning Light Baptist Church. And I found myself finding comfort in the midst of discomfort. Many of you all do not know, but when I first started here, I had a lot of a lot of obstacles I had to overcome. I had just graduated from seminary. I had just gotten into the army. There was a lot of moving things, a lot of things happening. You all remember when this pandemic first hit, one of the sermons that I preached to you all is not my plan, but God's plan. And it seemed as though God's plan was rolling out faster than I could keep up with. And some insecurities started settling in my mind. Some insecurities started settling in in my spirit. And brothers and sisters, there are some people that are no longer with us that were part of the process of me coming here to the church. And brothers and sisters, their own concerns, their own issues with my credentials, their own issues with my age began to set into my spirit. They started bringing up things that I had never thought of when it came to me pastoring this church. They started asking me if I considered things about my age and about my managerial style and about the time that I've been a minister and, and how that would impact me being here at the church. And they started placing little seeds of doubt in my spirit. And I wasn't necessarily sure myself if I was qualified or called enough to be here at this congregation. But brothers and sisters, God moved that out of the way. And sometimes God will move people out of your way that are distractions just so he could use you the way you need to be used. And although God moved those people out of the way, he replaced those people with some people that brought me comfort. 
He replaced those people with people on my deacon board, people on my deacon board that must have read 2 Corinthians that tells us that we are to praise God, the God of all comfort and compassion, because the God of all comfort and compassion comforts us in times of trouble so that we can comfort those in times of trouble as we ourselves are comforted from God. And brothers and sisters, my own deacon board, Bless them. I thank each and every one of them for their ability to believe in me, to push me, and to challenge me. Brother uh, Deacon Autry, I should say, in one of the meetings, he, he noticed I kept bringing up the fact that I was a young minister and I was pastoring people that were twice my age. And Deacon Autry not only pointed out that I was doing this, but he said to me, he said, he said, Pastor, we know your age. However, you've been called to this church. You've been called to do God's work here. And in spite of your age, you're still called to do this work. So I need you to stop bringing up your age. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, you need the encouragement of the people around you that once you show up and do God's will, God will put people around you to encourage you and confirm the fact that you're walking in your purpose. You're walking in your destiny. It wasn't only Deacon Autry, but it was also Deacon Bailey. And you know Deacon Bailey don't talk unless he got some wisdom to say. Deacon Bailey, who's normally a quiet man, even Deacon Bailey spoke up and he said, Pastor Hamilton, you're living out the very destiny in which Pastor Hodo had seen for this church to start moving it into. You're living out the very calling in which Pastor Hodo, when he saw you first come here and preach, that he wanted this church to start moving in the direction of Pastor Hamilton, you right where you need to be. It wasn't only Deacon Bailey, it was also Deacon Cloud. Deacon Cloud told me one day I was driving and I was talking to him on the way home. Deacon Cloud said, Pastor, with all that's going on with this pandemic, you were made for such a time as this because you are the only one that could have helped us get through with all this technology. Your generation is good with all that stuff. And if we had gotten somebody older, I don't know if we'd have made it. And brothers and sisters, it's encouragement like that that helps you get through. Also, the chairman of my deacon board, Deacon Sims, she said, Pastor Hamilton, it's not going to be until you realize for yourself that you've been called to this church, that you will begin to see the change and start walking in your destiny, start doing what God called you to do, to start having the boldness you need to have. And brothers and sisters, when I was in a low place, when I was intimidated by the calling, when I was intimidated by what God had asked me to do, I had the fellowship of believers around me, the fellowship of believers that would pray for me, the fellowship of believers called my deacon boards that held me up in the midst of my own insecurities. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that's what your deacons are for. They're here to pray for you. They're here to encourage you. They're here to lift you up no matter what you go through. They're here to be prayer warriors, to help gird you up in the fight and keep you focused during the race. Brothers and sisters, after I got their encouragement, I got the encouragement from the scriptures. And I remember how in Ruth, when Mordecai talked to Ruth, uh, he told Ruth that you were created for such a time as this. I remember when I read in Exodus it, when uh, God was talking to Moses and Moses was giving God all these excuses about how he stuttered and whether or not he could send somebody else and how he wasn't cut out to be a leader. God told Moses, don't worry about what you'll say because I'll put the words 
in your mouth. I remember Joshua, how the scriptures in Joshua said, be strong and be very courageous. I remember in Jeremiah, when Jeremiah in chapter 1 was struggling with the fact that he was a young prophet and he was worried about people taking him seriously, God told him, don't say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to whom I tell you to go to, and you shall speak whatever I command you to speak. Brothers and sisters, I remember when Jesus told the disciples, lo, I will be with you even till the end of the age. And brothers and sisters, I just want you to know this ain't something I just heard about. This ain't something I just picked up off the street. This ain't something that I don't believe, but it's something I put in practice for myself. That the belief in the scriptures, the belief in the community of believers that are around you, the belief in this thing called the word, the belief in this thing called the Holy Spirit can gird you up and give you a boldness to stand firm and call those things that aren't as though they are. They can give you a boldness to stand firm and walk into your destiny even though you're insecure or worried about how it's going to be. God doesn't need you to tell you Tell him what you're not going to do. God just needs you to be obedient and listen to what he's called you to do. And sometimes we get so caught up in trying to tell God where we want to be. Sometimes we get so caught up in trying to show God that we're not good enough. Sometimes we get so caught up in trying to make sure everything adds up. Everything has this little piece that it fits in that we get distracted from the fact that it's not you. But it's God working through you. Brothers and sisters, I want you to look at your pastor and know that every time you see me up here, it's not me, but it's God working through me. No, I don't have the experience of pastoring 20 and 30 years. No, I'm not 40 or 50 years old, but it didn't matter about my age. It didn't matter about my experience. It didn't even matter about my education. What mattered is the fact that I am a vessel that God is using to preach the gospel. And brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to glow to pat myself on the back. I'm trying to encourage you and let somebody know on the opposite end of the screen that if you just shut up and let God use you, if you just show up and let God use you and do the rest in your life, God can take you from a low place to a high place. God can use an area of discomfort in your life and turn it around so that you can find comfort. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to try to figure it all out by ourselves because our Savior tells us we're never alone. There's a hymn I like that I, I like to always say. It says, I've seen the lightning flash. I've heard the thunder roll. I've felt sin breakers dash trying to conquer my soul. But I still heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on. He promised never to leave you, never leave you alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave you, never leave you alone. And brothers and sisters, as long as we're connected to the Holy Spirit, as long as we're connected to the Spirit of God, we're never alone. We can always face uncomfortable situations with the comfort of knowing God is with us. I want you all to not miss the fact that this is Peter and James that are now standing in front of this council of religious leaders and the religious empire. The Bible doesn't necessarily get go too deep into the fact that Peter and James are, are where they are based off their own fruition. The Bible goes into the fact and shows how they got there based off their previous experiences. 
And I want to highlight Peter in this moment because you all can remember I've preached several sermons about how Peter was afraid, about how Peter at one point in time was hiding in the upper room, about how Peter at one point in time was fishing at night, and how in both of those instances, Jesus had to come to him in his fear. Jesus had to come to him in his insecurity and grant him the peace of the Holy Spirit and let Peter know, I need you to get back on track. I need you to get back in the fight because on this rock, I built my church. Brothers and sisters, if you can remember, Peter was hiding in the upper room when Thomas didn't believe that Jesus had come back from the dead. And Jesus comes to that upper room and he comes in there and he speaks to Thomas, but Peter is also watching. But that must not have been enough for Peter because remember, Peter tries to go fishing on the Sea of Galilee at nighttime. And remember, uh, the thesis of the sermon that I preached back then is that Peter was hiding. Because he was fishing by night and he was trying to get back to his old lifestyle because he figured Jesus had died. And he said to himself, well, my Savior's died. All my hopes and dreams died on that cross. So I might as well get back to being a fisherman, the thing that I was doing before Jesus showed up. At least that'll help me get back to some aspect of normalcy. At least that'll help me get back to something that I'm comfortable with or that I know that I've been doing the majority of my life. And brothers and sisters, the text says that Jesus comes to Peter. And he comes to Peter and he asks him, he says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. So, 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 so Jesus responds by saying, well, feed my sheep. He asks him again, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. And he said, tend to my lambs. And brothers and sisters, in this text in Acts chapter 4, we see Peter now standing bold. We see Peter now standing firm with the Holy Spirit inside of him, and he's actually confronting the very situation that he was hiding from back in the previous chapters. You see, the reason why Peter was hiding in the upper room, the reason why Peter was fishing at night is because he was scared that he would be picked up by the Roman Empire. He was scared that he would be arrested by the religious leaders. He was scared that he would be facing the very thing that he's facing right now. But brothers and sisters, in spite of all of his fear, right now with the power of the Holy Spirit that's fallen in the book of Acts, the power of the Holy Spirit, the text says that even the religious leaders, even the Roman Empire, is surprised at how bold he is. They're surprised at how confident he is. They're surprised at the fact that this man who knows that they killed his leader is standing firm on the fact that God is still the only way, or Jesus, I should say, is the only way to salvation. Brothers and sisters, that's a testimony because what that shows us is that the Holy Spirit gives us the power and ability to confront the very things we're afraid of. The Holy Spirit gives us the power and ability to stand firm in areas that we felt were shaky and, and, and watery ground. The Holy Spirit allows us to speak truth to power and call those things that aren't as though they are. The Holy Spirit will allow us to stand in any situation in front of anybody, regardless of our background, regardless of if we've been educated, regardless of if we have the knowledge. The text tells us that Jesus told him and Jesus told the disciples, don't worry about what you'll say. 
Don't worry about anything that happens to you along this journey of discipling because God will put the words in your mouth. God will give you everything you need. And brothers and sisters, what we can use to be comforted in this time is that no matter where we go, as long as we follow what God has called us to do, God will provide along the way. One of my favorite pastors, uh, his name is Dr. Hagray. He said, God doesn't give cash advances. God provides along the way. I'm going to say that one more time. He said, God doesn't give cash advances. God provides along the way. Because imagine if he gave cash advances, we wouldn't see him until the advance ran out uh, the next time. Or we wouldn't call on him until the advance ran out the next time. So he knows how people are. So therefore, he provides for us along the way. Just so that we rem are reminded we have to remain faithful along the way. We can't fall off along the way when times get good. We have to be connected to the Holy Spirit night and day. But brothers and sisters, the key part of this text is something that I don't want you to overlook. The key part of this text, after they're insulted, Peter and John, after they're insulted the whole time by the religious leaders saying that they are uneducated and ordinary men, the main thing that we need to keep in mind is that at the end of that, it says they recognize them as companions of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that means as long as you're a companion of Jesus, you're connected to somebody. You're connected to something that will allow you to make it through any situation. They said these two men have to be connected to Jesus because they have a certain boldness that I know they didn't have before. They said these two men have to be connected to Jesus because this is the same Jesus that at 12 years old was calling out the religious officials and, 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 and was confusing them by all of his knowledge of the Jewish laws. This is the same Jesus that flipped over the tables in the tent temple and was upset because they had made uh, his father's house into a storehouse where they were trying to make money and trying to make it a marketplace. This is that same Jesus that was bold enough to stand firm on his belief and stand firm on the fact that he knew that he was the Messiah. This is that Jesus and these religious officials are saying these two men, Peter and John, must be connected to this guy. And that means that the aspect of boldness through the Holy Spirit is contagious. That brothers and sisters, that if you get connected to Jesus Christ in the word, not only will it transform you, but it'll transform the people around you. So therefore, we have to be connected to the Holy Spirit, which connects us to God so that we can transform our community and transform our world. Brothers and sisters, it's not by our power and ability alone that allows us to impact the world around us. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit uses our gifts. The Holy Spirit uses our talents. The Holy Spirit uses our personality and everything that we are that has got us to this point with all of our experiences. However, it's only through the Holy Spirit that you're able to walk through closed doors. It's only through the Holy Spirit that you're able to get a seat at the table that you wouldn't have normally been able to sit at. It's only through the Holy Spirit that you're able to speak truth to power. 
Nonetheless, there's still a valedictorian that is feeling the frustration or feeling, I should say, the discomfort of remembering that although she's on the inside of a banquet designed for all valedictorians to meet the governor, she still remembers the hurt. She still remembers the pain. She still remembers the discomfort of someone's comfort in marginalizing her and trying to shut her out from an opportunity that she was more than qualified for. Brothers and sisters, if you were wondering what happened to that girl, let me tell you what happened to that girl. That valedictorian wind up graduating and going to Spelman College. After she graduated from Spelman College, she went to Yale Law School. And after graduating from Yale Law School, she had a law degree and she wind up working in the House of Representatives. And after she worked for a long period of time as a representative in the House of Representatives, she decides in 2018 to run for governor. Brothers and sisters, you know this young valedictorian as Stacey Abrams. And Stacey Abrams was the young girl that after graduating uh, from high school at valedictorian was at first denied the entry into the governor's mansion because she was marginalized, because she was cast out of something that someone felt she wasn't qualified to be in. But brothers and sisters, although she ran for governor, you know how the story goes. You know that she lost. She didn't win, and once again, she found herself shut out from an opportunity she was more than qualified to win. However, let me let you in on a little secret. You see, brothers and sisters, she might have lost on paper, but she really didn't lose. And let me tell you, she really didn't lose because there's actually victory in doing what God told you to do despite the outcomes. There's actually victory in breaking down barriers of racism, sexism, and classism. There is victory in Stacey Abrams clearing the path so that someone else can walk through it. Although she felt the discomfort of losing, she can find comfort in knowing that following God's plan is never a failure. Brothers and sisters, we have to always follow God's plan because in God's plan, there's always victory. In God's plan, there's always success. And although it may not be the natural form of success, although Stacey Abrams didn't win, she still won because she opened the door for countless other minorities. Sometimes we look at success as one thing and God looks at success as another thing. And although our level of success doesn't end up or, or, or match up to God's level of success, brothers and sisters, God is trying to make room for all of his children at the table. And if you know as well as I know, God doesn't just do things for one person. He does things to impact the community. And sometimes you have to be that chosen one to go out and just clear the path. And you may get to the door, but it may not be your role to open the door. And just because you cleared the path and got to the door, you make a pathway for others to come behind you and open it. Brothers and sisters, when we look at all of our ancestors that sat on the bus, that got beat uh, in the city-ins, that got beat trying to fight for the rights in which we had today, some of them never got to walk through the doors in which 
We have walked through the day. Some of them never got to sit at the tables in which we're sitting at today. Some of them never got to see the grace and the glory of all the hard work, blood, sweat, and tears that they put in to have what we take for granted today. And brothers and sisters, we have to be thankful for the little victories. We have to be thankful for the moments of discomfort in which we can find comfort in clinging on to the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, as long as you follow God's plan, as long as you do what God asks you to do, as long as you are faithful to God, you will always have victory. Ecclesiastes tells us the race is not given to the swift nor to the strong, but to those who can endure until the end. That means it goes to those who can endure discomfort, that means it can go to those who don't mind being ordinary people and used for extraordinary things. God is ready to use you, brothers and sisters. You just have to be willing to find comfort in areas of discomfort, to find comfort in knowing that you're never alone, to find comfort in facing people that are comfortable marginalizing you, people that are comfortable telling you you're not enough, people that are comfortable shutting you out. You have to find comfort in knowing with God on your side, with God in the form of the Holy Spirit that resides in you, by knowing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You can meet any obstacle. You can go through any door, and you can sit at any table because you have the boldness of standing firm on the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I thank you for watching and worshiping with us this Sunday. And I want you to know that in spite of all you go through, in spite of whether or not you feel qualified, in spite of whether or not you have all you need to have or you've done all you need to do, if you just show up, if you just do what God asks you to do, if you allow yourself the ability to feel the discomfort and find comfort in our Savior, you don't have to worry about what you don't have. You don't have to worry about what you haven't done. You don't have to worry about all those things the world says you need. All you have to worry about and do is trust in our Lord and Savior. All you have to do is stand firm and bold on the fact that God's got you. Brothers and sisters, I love you, and I pray that this was food to get you through your week. Always remember the joy we have. The world didn't give it to us. And the world didn't take it away. We can be thankful for what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. God bless you.